Welcome to this edition of the Hindus In Focus podcast. I'm Sriram Lakshman, the Hindus US correspondent. US President Donald Trump signed an executive order restricting certain categories of immigration to the United States for a period of 60 days. The ostensible reason for this action was to save American jobs. More than 26 million Americans signed up for unemployment benefits from early March till April 18th. However, the executive order's impact is questionable. First, it has a large number of exemptions. For instance, it only applies to those outside the US, not to those inside the country in the process of getting green cards. Second, it is also limited to 60 days, although Trump said this could be amended. It is also the latest in a series of measures taken by the Trump administration to restrict immigration of all kinds. To help us examine the deeper roots of this executive order, analyze its fallout, and also to tell us what we can expect with regard to green cards and skilled immigration, H-1B visas for instance, going into election season in the US and after. We have with us today Doug Rand. Doug is the co-founder of an immigration firm called Boundless. Before this, he was at the Obama White House for over six years, where he was the assistant director for entrepreneurship at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. During his time there, in addition to working on clean energy investment and the Startup America initiative, Doug had a leadership role in Obama's high-skilled immigration agenda. This included elements of the Senate Bill on Comprehensive Immigration Reform in 2013 and work permits for spouses of skilled visa holders. Doug, thank you very much for joining us on the Hindus In Focus podcast. Thank you for having me. This executive order on immigration with all its exemptions and the relatively short duration of its validity, is this really about saving American jobs? How much of this is about immigrants and optics? I think it's important to look at the context here and look at what Donald Trump uh, has been saying since long before the pandemic. Uh, For the entire time he's been in office, he's been railing against what he calls chain migration, which is really just permanent residency, and ultimately citizenship for relatives of U.S. citizens. He's been railing against the uh, diversity visa program, uh, which uh, allows uh, 50,000 people to get green cards each year from countries that uh, typically don't have as much immigration to the United States. So he's been railing against those programs for years. He has proposed and endorsed legislation to uh, uh, eviscerate that kind of immigration, family-based immigration, and diversity lottery for years. Um, he was saying that when the economy was doing great, by his own estimate. Uh, and now that the economy is in a crisis, uh, he's saying we need to do the same thing. So I think that tells you everything you need to know about whether this is about jobs or not. This is not about jobs. Uh, this is about changing who gets to come to America and who ultimately gets to be an American. Uh, and uh, And if you look at the the kinds of, uh, of uh, green cards, or also known as immigrant visas, that are being blocked by this executive order, it's pretty breathtaking. It's exactly the same categories of, uh, of immigration that Trump has been trying to shut down for years. Because uh, they've basically given exemptions for minor children and spouses of U.S. citizens, and that means uh, brothers and sisters adult children and parents are blocked by this order. And that's part of what Trump calls chain immigration, correct? That's right. He, he talks about chain immigration and conjures up these distant relatives being sponsored. But in point of fact, this is what, this is what he's been talking about all along, um, is that if you are a U.S. citizen, and Congress has said you have the right to sponsor your adult children, your parents, 
uh, and your siblings to uh, come to the United States and ultimately become Americans, uh, we're not going to let you do that. And even worse, if you're a permanent resident in the United States and you don't have your citizenship yet, Congress has said you're entitled, quite reasonably and humanely, to bring your spouse or your young children over uh, to begin permanent residency and begin a new life in America. Well, that's cut off too. So this is really a family separation policy. It's not a job protection policy. And make no mistake, it's not temporary either. This whole idea that it's uh, going to be for 60 days is a very thinly veiled farce. Uh, I would bet a large sum of money that this policy is going to be in place for as long as Trump is in office. I want to uh, talk a little bit about that because the Washington Post reported that senior policy advisor to the president, Stephen Miller, who's been the driving force behind Trump's immigration agenda, spoke with Trump supporters on a call and said that uh, future measures that would restrict guest worker programs were also under consideration. But, quote, the most important thing is to turn off the faucet of new immigration labor, unquote. So he also talked about disrupting chains of follow-on migration. Um, so there are benefits to American workers over time. So there's a lot to unpack here. First is this chain migration concept that you talked about and Trump has talked about for years. And second, um, uh, future restrictions. It not only sounds like, as you said, that the current restrictions will extend beyond 60 days, but there will also be other kinds of restrictions, such as on uh, uh, guest uh, worker programs and, you know, that... I suppose, would involve H-1B visa holders as well. What's your take on this? <laughs> That's right. Um, you're right. There is a lot to unpack here. Uh, let's just start with the fact that um, there's a lot of controversy about uh, guest worker programs and about whether guest worker programs are abused by certain employers. Uh, the H-1B program tends to be controversial. There's good actors, there's bad actors. Reasonable minds can disagree. Uh, and who knows, uh, it's entirely possible that in the next few weeks or months, uh, uh, the immigration restrictionists uh, in the Trump White House will prevail over their opponents uh, in this intrafactional conflict. Uh, and maybe we'll see a new immigration ban that's going to mess with guest worker programs. But what's been interesting is that at the end of the day, when Trump tweeted out that he was going to ban all immigration and the entire world freaked out because they didn't know what that meant, um, there was a flurry of activity inside the White House, as far as we can tell. Um, and a bunch of CEOs and industry groups uh, whether it was people representing far, you know, farmers who need farm workers uh, or uh, big companies that need skilled workers on H-1Bs or what have you, started furiously calling uh, the administration, probably including Trump himself, and saying, you can't do this. Um, and, uh, and so the, uh, the ban on uh, non-immigrant, that is temporary, that is guest workers that Stephen Miller and his henchmen were pushing for, got punted. Uh, and they're going to have to live to fight that battle again in about a month. Um, but in the meantime, who got blocked? Families of U.S. citizens, families of U.S. permanent residents, people who get uh, who win the diversity visa lottery. Um, these are not people who have uh, organized uh, lobbyists uh, and powerful advocates in Washington, even though it's a huge number of people. But um, 
But the fact is, Stephen Miller comes from a anti-immigrant restrictionist uh, ideology uh, where the most important thing, as you just quoted him saying, is to, quote unquote, turn off the faucet. He's not talking about guest workers. He's talking about who gets to be an American. He's talking about people who get permanent residency and ultimately green cards. This is the same ugly rhetoric that we've seen previously in our history as a country. Uh uh, going all the way back a hundred years to when uh, there was a lot of ideological and xenophobic opposition to uh, a great wave of immigration at that point in time. So uh, I think uh, I think Stephen Miller got most of what he wanted uh, and what he's always wanted with uh, last week's order. And I think um, it remains to be seen whether uh, Trump will go further and start to mess with uh, guest worker visa programs as well, which have more powerful advocates than families, unfortunately. Um, I need to explain to our, our listeners, uh, most of whom speak British English, that faucet means tap. Um, yes, turn off, <laughs> turn off the tap. Um, uh, I want to talk about extending this order because you've, uh, this executive order from last week, which you've raised that prospect a couple of times. Um, you know, many potential immigrants have already faced years, if not decades, of frustrating delays, queuing up for a visa number to become available. Um, you've done some analysis, right, on the kinds of immigrants who would be impacted if last week's executive order is extended for a period of time? That's right. So let's just assume that, for to make to make the math easier, that, it, that it's in place for a full year. Uh we, we have good data from the government on how many people typically get green cards every year. It's about it's a little over one million people get green cards every year in the United States. About half of them are already here in the U.S., so they're not affected by this latest ban. But about half of them are, uh, are coming uh, to the United States from abroad with their brand new green cards. So that's where uh, this ban really hits hard. Uh, by our calculations, it would cut overall immigration. It would cut into that 1.1 million by about a third which is a lot, um, and uh, it would it would more or less shut down family-based uh, 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 green card applicants, again, with the exemption strictly for the parents and young children of U.S. citizens, nobody else. Um, it wouldn't hit employment-based green cards very hard because most of them are already in the United States. A huge uh, proportion of them are Indian nationals here on H-1B visas and who've been waiting for years, if not decades, for their green card number to come up. So they, they're not affected yet by, by the current ban. And then, of course, the diversity visa uh, program would be terminated. What this means for uh, Indian nationals and Indian Americans, um, by, based on the, the, the numbers we looked at, is that under this ban uh, for a whole year, uh, if it's in place for a whole year, um, that's going to af affect the about 60,000 Indian nationals who would normally receive green cards each year, which, of course, is the first step towards eligibility for U.S. citizenship. Um, it's not going to affect many of the Indian nationals who are already here on H-1B visas. Um, but there's plenty of immigration from India to the United States that's based on family ties. So um, this proclamation last week would end up blocking 35% of all the green card applications uh, for Indian nationals. It's about 20,000 to 21,000 per year. People who would have normally been able to get their green cards and come to the United States and start their new lives here. Um, and ultimately become U.S. citizens, totally blocked. Um, and that includes about 3,700 parents of U.S. citizens currently living in India, 16,000 other relatives of U.S. citizens and permanent residents. We're talking about spouses, children, parents, siblings. 
uh, and only about 1,600 employees of U.S.-based companies who happen to live abroad. So that's the scale of the impact. So, and especially if you consider the fact that family structures are not same across cultures in India, especially uh, senior parents are often very much part of uh, what constitutes an immediate family, for example. So that's right. That's going to be, it's going to be especially disruptive based that's on right. what you say. Um, you know, you talked about how at the moment, those who are in the U.S. waiting for their green cards, uh, who have perhaps gone there through the H-1B process, they're not going to be affected immediately and directly uh, through this executive order. But um, what's your take on the longer term picture? Uh, you've hinted at Stephen Miller trying to push an agenda where H-1Bs uh, might be impacted later. Um, you know, there's also this conflict, like, for example, um, it's likely that business leaders called the White House. Uh, there are many in the GOP who support skilled immigration, correct? Um, so sure. you talk, you hear, at least I've heard both from business leaders and even individuals in policy circles, that there is a mismatch between the skills available in the U.S. and the skills needed for jobs. So what's your take on how stopping H-1Bs will affect the economy medium to long term? Uh, great question. Um, I think there could be pretty adverse impacts even in the even in the very near term. Um, I mean, there's a very large number of people who are abroad, not in the United States right now, who just, quote unquote, won the H-1B lottery, which, by the way, is different from the diversity lottery I talked about before. The H-1B lottery is an annual thing that uh, just represents massively greater demand for H-1B visas than there is artificial supply. Um, so there's thousands and thousands of people who are abroad right now who are uh, waiting to get to work uh, in October. Um, and a lot of that is going to depend on the pandemic, obviously, and whether the economy is coming back. Um, so it's impossible to predict that. Um, but, you know, assuming that uh, the embassies are starting to open again, assuming that the economy is starting to come back, then um, that's a big deal to uh, uh, to have or not have all of that uh, global talent uh, flowing into the United States, um, especially when we're bouncing back from a, a what's looking to be a historic economic downturn. Um, so in the, in the near term, there could be adverse impacts. And in the long term, I mean, it would be it would be devastating. I mean, um, the United States is a big, dynamic economy and uh, and uh, it's not uh, our population's not growing based on the birth rate of people who are already here. So in order for us to sustain growth and innovation and um, and, uh, and 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 jobs, uh, we need a growing population, and uh, and we need the skills, talents, and hard work of people who happen to not be born here. Right. I'm not going to assume that anyone uh, can successfully get into the president's mind, but doesn't he have a business background? Doesn't he get this side of the debate as well? Um, I think this president pretty much responds to whoever he talked to 30 seconds ago, um, and that's why you have any uncertainty at all over what's going to happen to these visa categories that uh, that businesses care about, because he's got his nativist, xenophobic uh, uh, henchmen 
uh, whispering in his ear about how oh, we need to shut it all down. And then he's got his business buddies calling him up and screaming at him, don't do that. So I was actually going to ask you, uh, because you've been uh, in the White House and the Obama administration, I was going to ask you what kind of political calculus is going on here. Which GOP does this administration want to make happy the immigration hardliners or the British-friendly people in the GOP? And I think, at least in part, you've answered that question. It's It depends on who's had the latest conversation, the most recent conversation with the president. That's right. I mean, I think that... Uh... I've been thinking about this a lot over the past week about how um, there's kind of some subtle differences among people who are anti-immigrant, uh, whether it's in this White House or uh, or among uh, various political advocates uh, in the United States. So just to break it down for your readers and listeners, um, Donald Trump uh, is anti-immigrant in a lot of ways, and he said a lot of really ugly things. Fundamentally, I think what he's obsessed with is the border. You know, um, he, he he doesn't like chain what he calls chain migration. He doesn't like what he calls you know the the uh, the flawed diversity lottery. Like he'll say critical things about a lot of things, but fundamentally, I think what what riles him up and what riles up most of his supporters in the United States um, is the idea of a lawless border. Um, and that's why you, that that's that's what um, was behind the you know horrific family separation policy that they finally backed off from earlier. Um, that's behind sealing the border uh, to asylees. I mean, there's a lot of really really intense, terrible human rights abuses going on on the border. Uh, and that's and, and you know if, if if you said Trump, you get to you get to do one big thing in immigration, he would say, I you know it's it's all about the border. Um, Whereas Stephen Miller, I think, uh, has a longer view. I think he's part of the old school restrictionists, uh, like a hundred years ago, that basically thinks this is re- you know the, the the big problem with immigration is it's changing what America looks like. Uh, we're getting too much immigration from quote unquote those countries. Um, now, I think Trump agrees. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's pretty horrible. But I think Stephen Miller, like, would you know, would uh, would um, vastly prioritize uh, changing the future flows of immigration to this country. I think it's important for your listeners to realize that um, this is not, I'm not making this up. I mean, uh, this didn't get reported on enough in my view, but um, you know, Stephen Miller and his, uh, and his, uh, his previous white house colleague, Steve Bannon are, uh, are, are uber nationalists and xenophobes. And they've said as much, I mean, Steve Bannon, has said that he thinks it's a problem that so many CEOs in Silicon Valley are from South Asia. He didn't give any reason for that. You, I mean, you know what the reason is. Um, and uh, and Stephen Miller has, you know, very often in public and in private talked about how great he thinks the uh, the immigration restrictions of 1924 were. And so, just a quick history lesson for your listeners: 1924 is when the great uh, period of immigration to America was slammed shut by a law that basically barred uh, immigration from Asia, from, uh, from, and even from Southern Europe, that slowed to a trickle. So basically, if you weren't from Northern or Western Europe, you weren't getting into the United States. Um, that's Stephen Miller's ideal. Uh, and if you look at every immigration policy that he has championed, that Trump has put forward when it comes to legal immigration, but I'm not talking about border stuff. I'm not talking about asylum, even though that is legal immigration. When it comes to you know who gets to become an American, uh, it's always a policy that uh, 
tends to exclude people from Asia, Africa, uh, uh, and Latin America, uh, and, uh, and favor people from Western Europe. Funnily enough, Steve Bannon's quite popular in some circles in India. Uh, apparently, he's an admirer of uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Um, you know, I want to talk about how this all plays out after the elections. Uh, if the Democrats um, take the White House, for example, because, you know, you have an advantage if you come in after a disruptor, because you may not want to undo some of the things the disruptor has done, although you might have protested those actions when they were done. How do you see Democrats uh, handling the situation? Will they reverse some of the uh, Trump administration policies with regard to uh, immigration? And also, how does Congress fit into all of this? Sure. I mean, there's basically three scenarios for where we are uh, in January of next year uh, uh, when the, the, the current term of the Trump administration ends and, and, uh, and it's time for something new. So either Trump wins the election, uh, in which case we are in for four more years of just devastating uh, policies that, um, that, uh, that all but uh, obliterate our legal immigration system. I mean, they've done so much damage just in three and a half years. It's 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 mind-boggling to think what they'll do in, in four more. Um, uh, or uh, uh, a Democrat, it, namely Joe Biden, uh, wins the presidency. Now, in that case, there's two possibilities. Uh, either he's got a democratically controlled Congress, um, and, uh, and in that case, um, actual new laws, like new reforms to our immigration laws are in play. And, and I think the Democrats are going to be under enormous pressure from immigration advocates to uh, finally, finally uh, reform our broken system uh, for the long run. If, on the other hand, uh, the Republicans continue to control our Senate, um, then you're going to have divided government. Uh, and you're going to be back where we were for most of the Obama administration, which is there's no way Republicans are going to let any meaningful legislation happen. Uh, in our Congress. And so you're going to see President Biden trying to use the authorities he has as president to go even further uh, in, in, in all likelihood than President Obama did. Um, I don't think it's going to be enough to just roll back everything Trump did, which I think uh, a Democratic president will do. Um, but there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, and probably a lot of appetite for figuring out, okay, wh what is it lawful to do um, that would... Uh, ease the plight of, uh, of immigrants across the board, uh, you know, whether we're talking about undocumented immigrants or legal immigrants or, um, or you know, all aspects of our system. I, I really honestly, Shiram, I can't think of anything that Trump has done on immigration that a Democratic president is going to say, oh, yeah, that was, that was a good move. Let's keep that. Okay, that's interesting. I guess at this point, there are just a, a ton of unknowns. And on top of that, you have the pandemic and and forecasting gets a whole lot more complicated. Doug, thank you very much again for joining us today and for your time, and be well. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.